and this is the event channel on voiceamerica.com. Welcome back. My name is Scout Bartlett. Scout like Pathfinder, Bartlett like Pears. Stepping in to host for a little bit, little while so that Ryan can actually breathe for a half of a moment <laughs> and bring you back. We're actually broadcasting today. We're live from the New Living Expo. This is the 15th annual New Living Expo in San Francisco area. It's in the San Mateo Event Center in the San Francisco area. And just to remind you, we're here. Well, we're here, but the whole event, the whole New Living Expo is here all weekend long. So that it's here for the rest of today till 8 o'clock tonight, and then it's also here on Sunday. You're welcome to come out. The New Living Expo has over a 100 various speakers that you could hear and learn from, including some very famous names. It has 180 different booths of interesting information, and we'll be having people come by to chat with me a little bit about some of the things that they have going on. But I want to just introduce you to me. My name is Scout, like Pathfinder, Bartlett, like Pears. I actually have another show that I do here in the Bay Area. I talk up on actual broadcast radio as well as streaming live. But the biggest piece about it is that I practice in this world that's loosely called and loosely referred to as metaphysics. I'm a practitioner in this world of metaphysics. An odd change of direction for myself. And just to give you some background about that, I actually grew up in Kansas. So those of you that think this stuff only happens and only comes from California, I grew up in Kansas and didn't have much of this stuff around me but was having experiences that i couldn't exact was having experiences that i couldn't exactly explain or couldn't actually reference but i just assumed that everyone was having those same experiences and that they were just dealing with them differently along the way i ended up having a couple of experiences that i couldn't explain any other way now my dad was an engineer my brother is an engineer my dad met my mom in a math class in college. I was literally raised with the notion that what I was going to do and what I was going to be was an engineer. I went to, I went to university, I went to Washington University in St. Louis and graduated there with a degree in electrical engineering. But while I was in the university, there were places where I got to experience interesting things, including one person that was in the psych department did a short round of experiments with their intent through their experiments, their intent through their experiments was to see if they could get any defining information that showed whether or not there is such a thing as intuition or intuitiveness. A layout, the basic layout of the experiment, they did it in a classic double-blind structure, which is to say the person who was administering, the person who was administering that experiment didn't have any information beyond just the basic structure of what to do. They brought a group of us into a room. They played a recording. They, the only information they gave us is that they were going to play a recording to allow us to relax. And that there was somebody in the area, this was in St. Louis, that there was somebody in the area that was in this field of psychicness. And that at some point during that recording, that person, who we never met and wouldn't meet and who we didn't get to know anything about, would be focused on a photograph and that the recording we were listening to would have us relax and try to vision to see if we could get any kind of input about what that photograph was about. The person that was administering in the room had never seen any of the photographs that were going to be used as target. All they had was that information, and they left the room while we did this so that there was no influence there. And they not only didn't know what the photographs looked like, but they obviously also didn't know which photograph would be the target. We went into that guided relaxation. I was among several other college students in the room. We went into that guided visualization, that guided meditation, that relaxation. And then the guided recording had us look as it were to make sort of a clear whiteboard in our head and then look to see what might show up on that screen now the first thing that happened in my head again I was an engineering student and I don't know if any of y'all know engineers but people that have an engineering mindset we're an interesting crew I consider myself as sort of a recovering engineer at that point this point but we're an interesting crew I was not expecting specifically that anything would happen. I was not expecting specifically that anything would happen. 
But at the same time, I kind of had had enough experiences already in my life to tell me that whatever that intuition stuff was, I, A, I believed in it, and B, I'd had experiences of it. So whatever it was, it seemed like I had some of it. I went into this guided recording, and when they told us to see what we pictured, I just had a very strange picture in my head, as if I were riding in a carriage somewhere, and that we were being followed by a joyful, cheerful, large pack of collie dogs. You know, the particular dogs that are a collie. As if we were being followed by this group of collie dogs uh, and going up with lots and lots of greenery all around us. And that's what I saw in my head. And I thought, oh, interesting. But I could hear dogs barking in a, in a quadrangle outside the building that we were in. So I thought, nah, it's just because I'm hearing those dogs barking. And oddly enough, about the time that I went, nah, the recording said, okay, clear your mind. And then they brought us back around and had us focus again to see what we picked up. The second time that they had us focus, I saw very clearly in my head an image, but it was in, I'll call it photo negative. If you've ever looked at the negatives of a color photo, it was in photo negative color span. So the colors were inverted, but it was a very clear picture. And what I had was two profiles in front of me. I had one three-quarter profile that was looking from what would have been toward my left and a second three-quarter profile that was looking in the direction that would have been toward my right. And both of them looked to me as if they were angry and there was lots of red on the one side and lots of orange on the other side of the picture and that was what I was looking at was all of this red and all of this orange and these two angry three-quarter profiles. And that's all I saw. And then about that time, the recording brought us back out again. And the individual who was running this particular part of the experiment came back in the room and said, okay, here's a set of papers and there's some questions here. And what we'd like you to do is we'd like you to fill out the answers to the questions. Just describe what you had. So I actually described both of the pictures. I had much more description of the collie dogs, but I, I wrote and described both of the images I'd seen in my head, and I even sketched the second image because it was so strong. I sketched that second image to show those three-quarter profiles and what directions they were looking and where the red color was and where the orange color was and so forth. Then the person running the experiment took out six great big envelopes and said, there's photos in each of these envelopes I have to leave the room. I'm not allowed to see them because they were doing a nice double blind. I have to leave the room. I'm not allowed to see them, but there's photos in each of these envelopes. I'm going to just give them to one of you. And what I'd like that person to do is lay them out one at a time right here so that everybody in the room can see them. And then what we'll ask you to do is look at those photos and rate them one through six in terms of what you think is the most probable that any one of them may or may not be the original target photo. And they picked out the first two photos that they took out didn't look anything at all like anything I had looked at. Huh, how fun. There's Jeff. Hey, are these? Are you selling these, Jeff, or are you giving them away? Ten bucks. Cool, thanks. Just in case anybody asks me. That's Jeff's new book, by the way, Finding Your Frequency. Look it up as Jeffrey Spinard, S-P-E-N-A-R-D. You can find it on Amazon and grab it. Or jeffspinard.com. S-P-E-N-A-R-D.com. Jeff Spinard. Finding Your Frequency is a fun book. I haven't had a chance to do any more than skim through it because I just got my copy. I was there in this experiment in St. Louis, run by the psych department, double blind, and they were taking out photos that, that they were going to ask us, which one did we think was the target photo? And the first one they took out didn't look anything like anything I'd seen. The second one they took out was some other picture altogether. And, and it's really funny, even though I was an engineer and I could count to six, and I knew that if I'd only looked at three, I hadn't looked at all six, none of them had looked anything at all like what I'd been looking at in my mind. And by the time they brought out the third photo, I found it interesting that I was already giving up on me. It's not gonna work, it didn't work, I don't really have that intuitive, it's not real, I've just been making it up in my life, it's not really been going on, it's never been real. I was already giving up on me by the time that I took out the third photo, by the time they took out the third photo for me to look at. I don't know how many of y'all have ever experienced this where you may have had times in your own life where you recognize that your mental patterning made you be giving up before you actually got the results. Maybe you gave up halfway through an exam. Maybe you gave up halfway through a job interview. 
Maybe you gave up under some other circumstance, but I was already giving up on me by the time they took out the third out of six. And this is pretty vivid because I remember it so solidly. Then they took out the fourth photo and it was like an electric shock went through my body. I was jolted when they took out the fourth photo because I knew that that had been the target photo that I had been looking at in my mind. We're up on the air live here from the expo. I knew that would have been the photo I'd been looking at in my mind. Now, I have to describe it to you. I'm so sorry. I Can I see it? Yeah, sure. You're welcome to. Very welcome to. Thanks. We've, we've got an audience. We are broadcasting live from the New Living Expo, the 15th annual New Living Expo in the San Francisco area in San Mateo. They took out the fourth photo. Now, you'll remember I described that the photo, I'd, the picture I'd seen in my mind, the first picture I'd had in my mind as they did this experiment, I'd had this picture of being in a lot of greenery, and this whole herd of collies, collie dogs, running along, barking. The second image I'd had in my mind was two profiles, both of them three-quarter profile, one looking to my left, one looking to my right. And I thought they were angry, and there was lots and lots of red and orange in that picture. When they pulled out the actual photo, what I saw was the exact geometry that I had seen in my mind the exact geometry that I had seen in my mind, except that I hadn't quite interpreted the picture correctly. What I was looking at was a photo of a young man with an orange backpack on who was looking into the sun, so he was squinting, but I had read that in my mind as angry, and he had his arm over his collie dog who was wearing an orange doggy backpack and was looking in the opposite three-quarter profile also squinting, you know, with, with panting, so teeth were showing, and eyes were squinted, and so I had taken them both as angry. It turned out neither of them was angry, but it was the exact photo that I had seen in my mind. And later, when they, and they didn't give us any of the results at the time, but later when they actually showed us the results, it did indeed validate that Number four, the fourth picture, had been our target picture, and it was just as I'd seen it, even though my mind had scrambled it slightly. That was my stepping into solidly as an engineering student who believed in science, solidly feeling validated in terms of my own intuition and intuition in general being a very real thing. And we'll continue. I'll have more of my stories. But right now, we've brought in a guest that I want to introduce you to. Working under a title of Inner Space Techniques, I'd like to introduce all of you to... Oh, that's going to be difficult. Let me do a small readjustment here and see what that does for us. We might... Yeah. I'm going to have you sort of look... Yeah, look... Not a lot, but a little bit. That's perfect. That, that solved it. I'd like to introduce all of you to squealing feedback first, but then I'd like to introduce you to Allison Montgomery. Alice and I have seen each other in the New Living Expo shows historically. We've bumped into each other, and we've not really had much of a chance to chat. So everybody, this is Allison. Allison, this is everybody. Hi, everybody. Hi, welcome. I'm glad you're here. I'm really glad to be here. All right, so you've got an interesting short history. I moved from Kansas and moved into a spiritual world. I started growing up as an engineer, and I grew up with all of this practical engineering stuff in my head, and then ended up finding that that spiritual part of me was really real. And then the more I explored it, the more I began to notice and recognize that not only was it really real, but it was shaping my life path. So pieces of data I have about you is that you've sort of traveled the world before you ended up in California. That's right. Did you start out feeling, were you connected with intuitive things that would lead you to inner space techniques? Were you connected with that from the get-go, or where did your life path bring that about for you? Well, I grew up in Australia on the beautiful east coast near the beach, and uh, I moved to Sydney when I was 18, and at 21, I had a massive awakening. And at that time, I just felt bathed in spiritual connection, light. Those massive awakenings are not usually easy. How was it for you? Uh, bliss, absolutely blissful. Oh, sweet. Yeah, it was just uh, incredible. I mean, at 21, you're really on the brink of your life. So I didn't have any problem giving up drinking, smoking, anything like that, and changing where I lived and embracing meditation and I just dived in with everything that I had to uh -huh. this new world of spirituality because 
the light inside was so great and I just wanted more and more of it. So, uh, so you um, could feel it coming from inside of you and then that, that, that changed your whole direction. Absolutely, absolutely. Inside and outside, like I could feel it in other people, I could feel it in myself. I would sit on the bus going to work, I was a secretary back then, and uh, plant columns of light on people on the bus and just waves of bliss. And, and I very quickly realized that I was some kind of light worker, whatever that might be. Whatever the heck that is. And I was always looking for a way to marry, you know, what was the link between spiritual awakening or you know those kind of experiences that most of us have at some point in our lives those moments of awakening and emotional healing because I had gone through a traumatic time in my childhood and Uh. had you know been looking for some way to heal that well I actually hadn't I was pretty much just you know, using sugar and alcohol and, and things back in my teens. Well, that's the typical way to heal that. <laughs> As we do. That's ne- the normal approach on how Netflix we're going to heal that. hadn't been invented yet. So. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, it could have been sugar, alcohol, and, and binge-watching. Yeah, that's right. It was just MTV. Um, yeah, so I, I, that was my, that's been my journey, and it's been 30 years, and uh, I've done a lot of things. I've taught probably six or 7,000 hours of yoga. I've taught meditation, regression therapy, and the process that I use now, um, I found about 15 years ago, and I just find it's incredibly effective for direct unraveling of anxiety and self-doubt that are the thing that emotionally, I think, keeps people out of having those big experiences of who they really are. You know, we, we get caught in the negative thinking and worry and day-to-day issues, and really, it, that's probably coming from some kind of emotional trauma. And when you can connect somebody to their higher self or their greater depth, uh, you know, they start to shine and, and those problems are unraveled from the inside out. So, you know. so we're talking from within this, this industry. Oops. We're talking from within this industry that, that, that is the metaphysics or is the new age or we're here at the new, new, new living expo. We're talking from within this stuff that not necessarily as familiar ground base for everybody else. So I know I teach a process, I teach in a body of work that, that got named Life Insights. And I phrase it that way because I was starting to do these practices and, and I needed to put something on a business card. And I thought of a whole bunch of things that made a lot of sense. And then within myself, I suddenly became aware that, yeah, yeah, you can, you can think of all those names. But what this is, is this is Life Insights insights into life put that on the card get over it Mm -hmm. um and so the process has been one where where um perhaps people sometimes see new age people or they see people spiritual people adopt a guru and they become a devotee and they follow that one guru and they wear that one guru's colors you know i won't make a joke about colors uh, it sounds like your life, your background, like mine, has also been eclectic, assembling information from a number of disciplines and a number of teachers. Yes. I feel very lucky with the group that I was introduced to at the get-go because it gave me a barometer for, you know, kind of how high people's consciousness would go. And also, you know, when I when I came across things, I would be like, yes, that my intuition would just go, yep, that's on, no, that's not. And the thing that I kind of love about the journey that I've had is that I have 20 years or like 17 years experience in the corporate world as a receptionist, executive secretary. So I feel, you know, plugged into the new age, but it's kind of an industry around something that everybody has. And, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter if you're, uh, you know, an executive or a whatever people do, or a bus driver, you know, like people are people. Like one of my dearest... Yes dearest friends who does incredible work was a postman for a really long time Ben mm-hmm. Road mm-hmm. yeah yeah and I've noticed that, that among my clientele and among the people that I work with and it sounds like your practice would follow similar lines it's not unusual for my practice to include anything from somebody that's a CEO of a tech corporation to somebody that's deep in writing code for a tech corporation to someone who makes their living as a massage therapist yeah the full range of it with that aspect of us because as I would mentioned earlier I was raised, my dad was an engineer, my brother is an engineer. I have an engineering degree. I worked in that field for a fair number of years till I graduated. Now I'm sort of recovering. But um, it's that inner part of us. A phrase came out for me yesterday when I was doing a talk here, which was just, 
what I've really followed is the path that has allowed more and more of that which is me to be what was expressing in whatever I was doing. And it sounds like, like you might not phrase it the same, but it sounds like you followed a similar path of watching you come forward. Yeah. And Scout, that just brings a really great point to mind that, you know, I have a lot of friends back in Australia and here and somebody asked me once, you've done so much transformation work. How do you feel? And I thought, I feel normal. Yes. <laughs> because yes. it's just your you without all the other stuff, like without, yes. without the limitations, without the what will they think of me, without... You know, yeah. the, the anxieties. And the, the imprinted and impressed yes, patterns all the way down to who your parents thought you might be when you were a kid that you then assumed you were supposed to be. Exactly. All of that sort of conditioning and things. And I think that you just refine and refine that. And in the beginning, it's kind of like taking a huge rock out of a stream, like the first couple of big chunks that you do. Are so exciting. Yeah. <laughs> I, but I find it still so exciting. Like weekly I'm moved to tears by my beautiful clients and uh, the, yeah. the processes that they're going through of self-discovery it's just the most touching and I think one of the most important things of this life this is what we're here for we're here to discover the God within you know we're here to discover the light inside and yeah. then shine it to each yeah. other and remind each other and just to reintroduce, I want everybody to know we're talking with Alison Montgomery you can actually find out more about Alison you can email her Alison A-L-I-S-O-N at AllisonMontgomery.com AllisonMontgomery.com and you're based here in the Bay Area now, right? I am. My offices are in Berkeley. In Berkeley. Ah, mm -hmm. That makes you radical. <laughs> it's I guaranteed. Yeah. Your beard would fit in there. Of course. My beard fits in everywhere. <laughs> um, the comment was is because I wear my beard purple except that I've got I have a publicity photo in my booth of when I had let it go back natural and so now everybody actually knows I'm coloring my hair. <laughs> so when you work with a client, and you just mentioned that your client sometimes just watching the beauty come out in them moves you to tears, what could you give us as a sort of a thumbnail description of what goes on in your work when you're working with a client and what feedback they say about what it did to, with, for them? Well, depending on the person. I know, that's a hard question. Yeah, it's... It it's like, describe the whole world and the rest of the universe, <laughs> and you've got three sentences. Go. <laughs> Well, it depends on the kind of client. Uh, for example, I do a lot with fertility, pregnancy, and recovery from big pelvic experiences like hysterectomies, uh, childbirth, pregnancy termination. Um, Which would sort of limit that part of your practice to women, I think. Most likely. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so I had two clients coming to me for fertility uh, towards the end of last year and I had emails from them both about six weeks ago to say oh my god I'm pregnant thank you so much I never believed it would happen you know you moved some energy so grateful um, one of my clients that's a measurable outcome isn't it it really is and but I also work a lot with men um, who have anxiety and self-doubt and I think that there aren't that many resources for men and you know, men are just wonderful creatures and... My team is sort of weird that way. We tend to assume that in, you know, in the, the men are men and women are women theory, which men are not soft, men are not harder women and women are not softer men, that's yeah, for sure. Yeah, exactly. Um, but my team has a tendency to sort of think that we're supposed to figure it out on our own and that if we don't figure it out on our own, it's not figure outable. We don't necessarily always know that there's anybody else that could show us that would actually know anything. Yeah. So that's one of the hurdles, particularly if a man were, were having anxiety. All right, so let's say that you have a man present, and, and what he presents with is that, that somebody has managed to get him to go to you. Yeah. I, I assume it's not that they went through the yellow pages, and I'll, I'll just look somebody up. Uh -huh. So somebody's managed to get him to go mm -hmm. to you, and what he's got is that he's getting frozen in space with anxiety. Bar various moments in time, he just gets frozen in space, or whatever, whatever degree he melts down to you. How would this go? Because I know people that have not been around our industry might be assuming that it'd be... I've had people talk to me about my work and they say, well, well then you, they just talk to you and you ask them questions. It's like, no, it's not what I do. So let's just take it out. First off, I'm assuming they don't walk in and lay down on a couch and they don't say, you know, hi, Allison, I'm going to tell you my story and then you're going to tell me my parents made me upset. How's that actually look? What's that actually look like? I, I wonder if I should answer with an example. Sure. Perfect. One, um, 
beautiful man came to me two years ago at the insistence of his wife. At the insistence of? And he came in and sat down and I just thought, oh, you poor dude. <laughs> She's made you come. There's, there wasn't any, you, you know. You, sir, have been sentenced to an exactly. hour of Allison. <laughs> Serve your term. And uh, I just, yeah, I just looked at this poor guy and thought, ah, oh, you poor dude. Because, you know, when people come generally, they're coming because of an inspiration inside or because of a referral, but they're asking. So right. he came without asking. Right. He'd been sentenced. And I, uh, I just sat with him and I, I think the space that I was holding for him was nothing has to happen. You know, it's okay just to sit there and not have anything happen. It's okay. Uh, so we talked for a little bit. I do lay people down and put hands on and ask questions and source things. And often, just because of the energy that I hold, uh, sometimes past lives will come up most often with you know, my non-pregnancy clients or non-fertility clients. It's uh, childhood trauma. So I work a lot with that. And uh, three sessions later, he came back. So obviously he came back. Obviously he came back. And, he and it came. sounds like his only sentence was maybe he was sentenced to one, maybe two. No, no, no. He was just that sentenced been, to well, one. He was only sentenced to one. He only had to come to one. So <laughs> With three, a possibility of parole. Three in three days. Wow. And oh, he was serious. At the, at the third one, he said, Alison, I feel like I've done more healing with you in three sessions than I have in 10 years of therapy. Yes. And I feel like, well, there you go. And so he proceeded to work with me for the next 18 months and, you know, we had dinner since and just, he's just on a whole different path. You know, he was one of those people that um, his anxiety was manifesting as OCD and just counting seconds all the mm -hmm. time, like in this background of counting and being very careful and safe and... Um, yeah, now it's a whole new world. It's just a, it's just a whole new world. The strength, the depth, the grounding, the peace. And as I was saying before, it's just fun. You know, it's not, um, oh, I've had this big massive transformation. You might think of that, but really it's just now he's free to live his life the way that he chooses. You don't have to then become a meditator or then become, you know, a shaman More, right. or have crystals unless that's what you want yes it's just, it's just to help any people live more freely and happily and more connected to themselves so just for fun mm -hmm. let me toss this one at you how would you describe let's say we're talking to somebody who's never had an intuitive experience that they themselves recognized as that mm -hmm. um, so, so as far as they're concerned they've never had an intuitive experience but you know sometimes I notice that that's a lot like like a t like a a 21 year old's very first beer when they're insisting they're not drunk and everybody around them knows they are they just don't know what to look for yet so they're not recognizing it yet so if we were talking to somebody who to their knowledge has never had an intuitive experience how would you describe having an intuitive experience if you were describing a rainbow to a person who has no physical vision, how would you describe it? In this case, if you were describing an intuitive experience, because there's a sorting process between my mind is chattering versus, wow, that's an intuitive intake. How would you describe it? And it doesn't have to be right. I'm just curious how you would describe it. It's a really great question. Oh, thank God. <laughs> so I would, I would say to them something along the lines of, okay, so you know that amazing feeling when you're sitting on the beach and you're watching the sunset or when you look into the eyes of a newborn and there's something different there. You know, like, not that there's something different in the baby, but the space is kind of different. Ah, yes. Uh, and I would also say, you know, when you look at a clock on the wall and you don't have to think in your head, it's five past ten, there's a knowing. I would say it's something like those two experiences. Or I would say, you know how sometimes you feel a wave of emotion? You know, you might feel, you know, the, the sort of emotions that pull you away from yourself and there are emotions that give you more of a sense of yourself. Like anger might pull you out of yourself when you're in the traffic, but then wonder will give you more of an experience of yourself. And I would say... It's in the realm of those kind of things. I like that. Mm -hmm. I like that. 
Certainly, certainly, I would also identify an intuitive experience for anybody that's ever had the whether whether it was going to be the candidate to be their one and only, or whether it was going to be, dang, if you're the wrong gender to be my one and only, therefore we can be friends. But if anybody's had that, I've known you, feel like I've known them forever. That's a yeah. similar thing to when yeah. I'm dialed into that intuitive. That it came up as you were describing that. I love the example, though, being on the beach and feeling yourself be able to just let go into the ocean and let go into a sunset and just be present for a moment. Because yeah. it doesn't have to come ca- packaged complete with like in a movie where suddenly you get a picture of an airplane in a storm and you're reading the number on the tail. Yeah. It doesn't have to come packaged with, with angels suddenly blowing trumpets and speaking out loud, although I've had some odd experiences with people who weren't there talking to me out loud. But only when I had to get my attention, I wasn't paying attention. But it's there. Which then that phrase itself brings me back. You're describing your client, well, the client you talk about, but your clients in general, that what you're watching is that as you do your work, which sounds like it's energetic as well as emotionally and psychologically based. Yes. In that energy stuff. Let me remind myself to come back to that question. You're describing that as you get that energy stuff to move or open or release or come uncovered, that you're watching then your clients end up being more of themselves rather than being whatever the packaging was before. Talk about that more of themselves part. Even the way that you describe it, I would add to that. Because it's not necessarily just moving energy. Um, It's more that... I see their higher self, like I see the spiritual part of them, you know, that everybody has. It's not gone anywhere. It's right inside. Um, You know, it's just got a few layers on the outside. Yes. Like when we wear layers of clothing in the wintertime. Yeah. So I tune in to my higher self and to whatever spiritual presences are working with me and I land a big space of angelic presence. and connect with their presence as well. And, and I think that where my work might differ from somebody giving a reading or doing Reiki is it's not just me giving. I'm inviting them yes. to come forward. And I find that it's when somebody has an experience of themselves, you know, like when they can feel the light or when they can feel... You know, yes. them, something moving inside themselves or when they move their own energy. Uh, and it does, you don't have to have any prior experience. Like, we can all do this. We, could, we all came in with those um, faculties. We just, there wasn't anywhere to, you know, train us in that kind of thinking mm-hmm. beforehand, uh, you know, as we were growing up. So I find that when people have that experience for themselves, that's the thing that makes a difference. That's the thing that, that changes their experience of their life because it, it's their own. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, it's they them. had an experience of themselves in a different way. Well, even if we took it in a completely different realm, uh, to my mind, people that are truly inspirational, whether they're stage performers, whether they're musicians, or whether they're inspirational speakers, or whether they were a former president of the United States, people that are truly inspirational, there's a place where if you have been in their presence while they are that, you can feel yourself lifted and inspired and what you're describing is rather than have that be sort of a natural side effect like I I know a lot of inspirational speakers they didn't study that uplifting part Mm. they just had that as a knack Mm -hmm. you know the same way that somebody has a knack to be able to sketch or draw Mm -hmm. they had that as a knack and then that guided them to move themselves forward and and wow I can do this so I might as well take this gig but it's very clear to me that what you're describing is along the way in the eclectic background you have of the various studies you've worked with Along the way, you've built your ability to be in your essence and then from there to connect with a client in the client's essence so that the essence could step forward. Do those words work? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as I was saying, I feel like we all have this innately. It's just the conditioning that has shut it down. And I've done, you know, 30 years of practices to clarify, open, ground, 
so I have less in the way. I find it interesting because I do work intuitively with clients. Our work actually overlaps a lot. We're going to have to talk more about this when, <laughs> when, when we don't have to share with everybody else. We'll talk in secret when you guys can't hear. But um, we have a lot in common there. And the interesting part I found was it's in, in the world of in this world that we're in, whether we call it New Age, whether we call it metaphysics, whether we call it the spiritual group, whether they call it, I think, the seventh, what is it? They're the seventh wave. In this world that we live in, it changes what the hot topic is periodically that, that people are hearing about and deciding, oh, that's what it's about. I mean, for a while it was about psychics. For a while it was about being able to communicate with dead people. For a while it was about being able to communicate with people who were never were alive. Uh, and, and, and then it's this, that, or the other, and it shifts rapidly. Uh, but I noticed that for a while when it was like, ooh, you must be... Somebody came up to me one time and it was wonderful because I was doing a, a workshop and they came up afterwards, and, and I move a lot of this energy stuff when I'm doing a workshop. And they came up all glassy-eyed and, and overjoyed and spiritually profoundly opened. And they just looked at me and they said, wow, it must be wonderful being psychic. Now, I am. And so I know how afflicting that has been along the way, particularly early in my life before I got the owner's manual and started to learn how it works. And I looked at them and I, I was honestly asking, why? And they looked at me and they said, well, because you have access to all your answers. And my real response to that was, no, actually what happened was I found out that most of my old questions weren't very interesting. I've got way better questions now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> How does this all work? How does that all flow? Um, and, and we've got a couple more people we'll talk to, but I want to let you know a little later I'm going to talk about the studies that I've been doing on how love flows. But how does that all flow? Where does that all go? Where does that come? So your, your path took you from Australia, blissed out in Melbourne, I think you said. Sydney. Oh, in Sydney, excuse me. Uh, blissed out in Sydney. God, that sounds like it should be a movie title. I notice we're not only not in Sydney, we're like not even in the neighborhood. Yeah. Your path made you, no, your path took you forward to take a risk and take a leap and end up leaving Australia and being in the States. Yep. And I think you said you first landed in New York. And I then, did. I and then after New York got done with you, then it shipped you out to the West Coast, California. Well, I wasn't done with New York. I, I think we, I still have a love affair with New York. I just adore New York. And I go back a couple of times a year to see clients and friends. And Yeah, I don't yeah. think anybody's ever done with New York no. once they've been there. New York just owns them no matter where they yeah, are. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so you're asking... It took you. How did you end up recognizing it was time to be changing your path? Because people ask me that question. I was, I was a practicing engineer when my path shifted, and this is the work I do full time. This is all I do. Is this your full time gig? Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. what I thought. Yeah. This is what I do. I, I haven't. It's odd. I kind of phrase it to people. I haven't had a job in a very long time. So. How did you find the sense in you to know it was time to make the changes that you've made? They just. I, uh, that's a, I don't even know how to tell you that. <laughs> I just know things at certain times. You know, uh -huh. I, I was driving around Sydney one day and I had zero intention of ever leaving Sydney. It hadn't occurred to me, uh, you know, apart from travel, which I've done a significant amount of. Um, and I, so I was driving around Sydney and was like, oh, I don't live here anymore. I wonder where I'm going to be. And then... Uh. Uh, you know, I was thinking of other places in Australia, thinking, I don't really want, this is where my, you know, this is where my meditation buddies are. This is where my clients are. This is where my friends are. Why would I leave here? I've just bought a place. Uh, and, and at that point, were you still corporate jobbing or were you full-time doing your practices at that no, point? No, I was doing both. Yep. So sort of 50-50. Yep. Teaching yoga, teaching meditation, doing a lot of practices, seeing clients twice a week. Uh, I, I was quite busy. My cousin <laughs> came to stay with me and from England and said, I've never seen anybody as busy as you. Yeah, you had quite, an, quite a consumptive hobby going on I did. There. I was just really passionate about what I was doing. So mm -hmm. it was a joy for me. Uh, yeah, so I w and then I met somebody and was like, oh, I'm supposed to be in New York. So, you know, a, a year later I was living in New York. Which, which will be an affliction you may never recover from. Hmm. <laughs> and I, I'm not even... Yeah, I think those things just present themselves to you. But I think if people are open, I mean, certainly anybody that's listening to this broadcast is open, is curious, you know. And so 
how do you make the right decision for your life or how do you trust what's coming? Or even coming? How, do you, how do you notice that your life is speaking up and offering a different thing than what you would have expected your life to be? It's like a sledgehammer for me. Yeah, yeah and mine tends to be. It's scary. It's a leap of faith, like moving to another country, leaving my family, my friends, my community was really scary and I landed in New York and somehow it was all lined up and you know my New York people I've had them for 10 years and some of my best friends it was like the sun was shining when I got there even though it was snowing even though yeah yeah the very first time that I traveled from the Midwest and the very first time I came up over there's one hill where you can first see the San Francisco Bay Area driving in and the very first time I came up over that my whole body went oh I'm home yeah and I was still in school at that point. I was still in college. Uh, but I never, for, I did not forget that. And yeah. so that, that when I interviewed for jobs coming out with my degree, uh, I landed a job with a, a large national corporation. And then I, I sort of like did things I never would do to pull strings within that job to suddenly land myself in a place where coincidentally that morning somebody in the job I wanted had just turned in their resignation and their boss hadn't even logged it in the corporate we have an opening yet when I happened to call and go listen I'm really wanting to come work for you uh, and he said well great Jerry just turned in his resignation this morning why don't you come on out and I finagled my way to be out in San Francisco and I've roamed a bit since but I keep I get dragged back into this Bay Area it, it just became the place I should be which is an interesting piece and then transition from being in corporate world engineering based world into spiritual practice it was just the spiritual practices became a hobby that took up more yeah. and more and more of my world until uh, I, I like to think I've now been I've, I've been retired now for 20 some years pursuing my hobby yeah ardently <laughs> and it happens to be how I make a living yeah. but I've been retired and just pursuing my hobby for the last 20 some years it's a real shift and a different place to be to shift out of that. Again, I want to remind people, my name is Scout Bartlett, but more importantly, we're talking with Allison Montgomery, Inner Space Techniques. Allison's based, her work is based in Berkeley, California. Uh, I assume you work with people, do you work with people by phone or only in person? I do. Yeah. I do a lot of Skype. I do God bless Skype. England, it's, it's, Singapore, it's the fabulous piece. East Coast, yeah. Exactly. Hawaii. Do you have a website? Yeah. AllisonMontgomery.com. Oh, of course. If your if your email address, yeah, sorry, brain not functioning. That all right. All the rest of y'all, everybody, make fun of me all at once. Her email address is Allison at AllisonMontgomery.com. A tiny bit of technical math, I could have figured out that she had a website. <laughs> if you turn the card over, <laughs> there it is. Allison A L one L A L I S O N Montgomery M O N T G O M E R Y dot com meditation-based energetic and emotional healing and then of course for people in the bay area you know like like they say at comedy shows you know i'm here all week tip your server uh are you here all weekend now yes or is this so you're here today and tomorrow i'm here today and tomorrow. so folks you, we're broadcasting live from the new living expo i keep trying to call it its old name 15th annual new living expo it's in the san mateo event center in san mateo california down here in the middle peninsula of the san francisco bay area the expo itself is here today and tomorrow allison's here today and tomorrow i'm here today and tomorrow for that matter uh they have a uh, hundred and some booths that you can go find interesting stuff alice is in allison Booth Allison, three, excuse me, 311. Booth 311. What's the big title up on it? It's one of your co-workers. Anyway, you can find her at 311 or just find me and I'll tell you where she is. Look for the booth. It's got lots of purple. Uh, and come and chat. I'm here to just share and talk to people. So I would love to hear from you. if you. Absolutely. It's a wonderful experience. There's, there's over 180 booths. There's also a steady flow of workshops with different people talking about different and interesting stuffs. Uh, and you can sort of like, it's like a buffet. You could come sample all kinds of things. Like yeah. uh, if you've ever been to a sushi buffet where you can go, okay, I've never tried that. Let me try one of those. Let me try one of those. Let me try one of those. See what I like. See what I don't. So, you know, to your question about how do you recognize when... Yes, please. Some, you know, when life is knocking at your door, I would say to people, come to things like this or travel. Travel's a great way to pull people out of what's fixed in their lives mm -hmm. just trying new things meeting new people going to a different meetup that's the way that you know you open the door for spirit to move in your life and for you to be connected to the people that you need to be connected to Absolutely. or the experiences that are going to help you on your journey 
Yeah, every time that you step outside your patterns, yeah. pay attention. Yeah. Notice who you are when you're outside your patterns, because after a while, it would be sort of like basil. You know, if you've eaten pesto a few times, and once you know what basil tastes like, then you can find it in any other dish you're eating. Ah, oh, that's basil. You can recognize yeah. it. Every time you step out of your pattern, you can start to recognize the flavor that you, that's underneath everything you do, exactly as Allison was describing, where we get all piled up with all of these other layers. And I would, I would even add to that and say... Hold curiosity and possibility ah, nice. as your day-to-day, in your day-to-day awareness. Because, you know, what we often do is we just get on the bandwagon of the normal thoughts. I mean, y- you know the thought that you have if you're on, traveling on the BART day after day. Y- you have the same kind of thoughts. You listen to the same kind of music. You read the same kind of books. Or you check your Facebook and it's the same kind of postings. What if you just held your awareness in a different way? talk to somebody or you know even just inside we're like what could happen today what might happen this week yes what if something could happen what would that be i had a a wonderful i'm wishing i could reference that quote from alice in wonderland off the top of my head of every morning i try to do seven impossible things before breakfast or something like that i think you just did it it's close (laughs) um yeah i had this amazing uh, yoga teacher probably 15 16 years ago tvk jessica char the son of krishnamacharya who uh yoga people would know he was the teacher of patabi joyce and uh, uh bks Iyengar and anyway so i did a workshop with um jessica char and and the two things that really stuck with me from that weekend were trouble wakes you up no trouble no waking And he just held such delight. And the other thing that he said was, you have to leave a little room for the divine in your day. You're not the only one creating that day. And that just gives me goosebumps because, well, what's possible? If there's more than I can see, if there's more than I'm experiencing, maybe I just better be curious about that and open to it, you know? I love that. Thank you. Yeah. Those are fabulous. I will treasure those. Thank you so much. This is Ali- that is that is Allison Montgomery. Thank you for sharing that. And we're broadcasting live from the New Living Expo, the 15th annual. We're out here in California in the Bay Area. The New Living Expo is at the San Mateo Expo Center down in the Peninsula area as we refer to it in the Bay Area. Uh, so if you're in the well, if you're not in the Bay Area, hop on your private jet and fly in. Uh, you'll probably want to land. Let's see, to come here, yeah, land at SFO, uh, and that'll get you right here. Hop your private jet and come on out and join us tomorrow. But if you're in the Bay Area, cruise on down. Come and join us at the New Living Expo. Allison, thank you so very much for coming over to chat really with me. Really lovely to talk to you, Scott. Yeah, nice to meet All you. All your people, yeah. Oh, that's right. They've got them listening too. I forgot. (laughs) (laughs) For that moment there, there was just two of us. Mm -hmm. I love that. Thank you so much. My pleasure. I'll let you go back and play in your booth. Thank you. You're welcome. Have fun. (sighs) So my name is Scout, as in Pathfinder, Bartlett like in pairs. And we're here at the New Living Expo in the San Francisco area exploring that which we could refer to as metaphysics, that which is beyond the surface and that which is beyond the physical. If you've ever had that notion or that sense within yourself where you became aware that you knew there was more of you, almost like you were giving your, you know, that, that, that marker in grade school when they might mark that someone was not living up to their potential, but they wouldn't, you know, I noticed they never then sat down and told you what the potential was. They just said, this student is not living up to their potential. If you've ever, ever found yourself where internally you were looking inside yourself and having that same recognition, that's what we're talking about. We get brought up in life with a whole series of imprints and impressions given to us by various influences along the way. Parents, other adults, group leaders, our heroes, excuse me, our heroes in movies or television shows or in books that we read, imprinted with what it is we think we're supposed to be and how it is we think we were supposed to be. And Allison was just talking about one of the places to break out of that is to travel. So that when you're no longer dis- when you're no longer surrounded with a set of surroundings that describe you and you're no longer surrounded with a group of people that have a pre-impression of who you are and who you're supposed to be, you get to step out a bit and find out who you can be when you're in a different backdrop. Now, I have this peculiar knack, and we all do. Each of us has our own knack. I had a 
friend that I used to hang out with, he was my across-the-street neighbor, and he and I would go chat late at night frequently because um, I was a spiritual student that had weird hours, and he was an artist that had weird hours. And as an artist, when we were describing things, he would frequently sketch what he was talking about. Now, my artistic talent as a natural talent is not my strong suit. It's particularly sketching and drawing, not my strong suit. It's gotten better because I've needed to do it, but not my strong suit, where for him it had been natural since childhood. And periodically when we were talking, he would get frustrated as to why I was trying to describe what I was talking about in words rather than going ahead and just sketching it out for him. So one night we were sitting and having coffee, and one night I did just go ahead and sketch it out for him. And then he found out why I didn't sketch things, because he couldn't figure out my sketch at all, and we went back to words. But each of us has our own individual knack, which we assume everybody else has. And in fact, there's a tendency for us to not only assume that everybody has those knacks, but to just assume that our knack isn't all that valuable because it's easy. There's a tendency for us to devalue that thing that's easy for us rather than be able to recognize that it's easy for us because it's our particular knack or talent. Now, I moved to California and met my first teacher, a woman named Betty Bethards, who taught me to meditate. And my meditation practices, along with then I studied with a number of other teachers, and the studies I did were to get that programmed part of me out of the way so that I could reach an authenticity level of being that potential, that being able to be living toward and living up to and living in my potential. So I began with a, a lot of different studies, and it was California, and it was a number of years ago, and this stuff was relatively new. So I did a whole lot in what's called the personal growth or personal development or self-development studies, clearing out my patterning and my repeating tapes and getting to where I could recognize what was my thought so that I could recognize what was my inspiration or my intuitive sense of things. And that's a key element, whether, you're going, whether you want to work with somebody as a psychologist or as a stockbroker or as an investment advisor or even as a physician, the first thing you want to find out is whether or not they have studied themselves enough to know whether they're working with you or whether they're just reflecting themselves. And that's what I said about doing, not with any intent of it ever being my living or my life path, only with an intent of myself building my own ability to be expressing that which was me. And the phrase I've had for it lately is allowing myself to let it be more and more frequent that that which is me was what was expressing regardless of what it was I was doing, whether I was filling out paperwork or reading a contract or working with a client, allowing that which is me to be what was expressing no matter what it was I was doing. And in following that path, I've found that I have a sort of a peculiar knack in that in addition to my normal physical vision, rods and cones and light reflected on a retina, in addition to my physical vision where I perceive people physically, I also perceive them on another level where I perceive them as energy patterns, uh, almost as literal, um, gosh, that's an old movie, I won't use the reference, but I perceive them as energy patterns as well as perceiving them as you know bodies and shapes and forms. And in studying those energy patterns, when I first started doing what gets, re what gets called readings for people, and to give you a description of that, when I'm doing readings for people, there's a place where if someone sits down in front of me, I can be the one that's talking. Now, I've had people get confused and they say, well, great. So, you know, somebody sits down in front of you and they start telling you their story and you tell them the place. No, they sit down in front of me and I'm the one that's talking. They're not telling me anything. I can perceive a ton of stuff about anyone that I'm focused into. That's just how it works. Uh, I actually, Monday, I'll be doing broadcast radio, over the airwaves radio, but it also, eh, I don't know. Nobody's around, so I don't know any rules. I'll let you know. Uh, Monday morning, it's San Francisco time from 7 o'clock till 8 o'clock, you could find this other show online at ifidknownthen.com or the shortcut, which is notscott.com, ifidknownthen.com. There'll be a button up on that website that says I'm on the air. And I'll actually be taking calls from callers and I'll be doing fast psychic glimpses into gifted aspects of these people, most of whom I've never met. Just how it works. But in seeing people as energy patterns, I find myself looking a lot to see what lays under 
the interactive patterns that I see among people in the world. What rests underneath those surfaces? What lays under those interactive patterns? And because it's fairly important to us, I've done a bunch of years now studying the concept that's, rep that's represented by that word love. So let me toss out a theory to you all that you can play with. My experience is that we've agreed that love is a sound that we'll call a word and that that word labels a sensation. Now, if you ask people what is love, they'll tend to give you a circular answer. Well, love is that feeling you have when you. Well, okay, then great. Then what's that feeling? Well, that's easy. That's love. So you get a kind of a circular definition. Well, because I see energetic patterns, I did a lot of taking it apart to figure out why that love stuff does what that love stuff does, including all the weird and interesting patterns that we see in life about what we do based on it and how we interrupt and bend our lives around it. Let me toss this theory to you. When I can see the energy patterns of it, my statement would be that love is the word that labels the sensation we have when our energy or our aliveness is flowing in us. Love is the word that labels the sensation when our energy or our aliveness is flowing in us. Now, that could be triggered by a beautiful sunset. That could be triggered by a beautiful forest. That could be triggered by a beautiful human being. Great. Love that. That could be triggered by a beautiful human being. That could be triggered by a brand new baby. Love is the sensation we feel when our energy or our aliveness is flowing in us. Now, if we're going to do good science with that, we have to take it apart and work it backwards, which is to say, you know, if science comes up with a theory, then they take a look at the reality and see if the reality can fit with the theory. So let's look at some of the things that we frequently agree we know about love. Let's see, one of them would be, ah, there's a phrase that's popular that says, love is all there is. Now, I'm saying that love is our experience of our energy or our aliveness flowing in us. Well, if, if we use that theory and then we take a look at a concept of love is all there is, which I think we might be quoting the Beatles there, certainly if we go sort of Taoist about the flow of the universe, we could say that energy flowing, that, I mean, even, excuse me, even quantum physics agrees with this one now, that everything we experience is actually energy underneath that surface. So if we were to say love is all there is, then we could say energy flowing is all there is. Another popular phrase that you'll hear people say is the phrase God is love. Well, if we get slightly Taoist about it, we can recognize the concept of God as a deep and rich energy flow, energy flowing. Uh, there's that wonderful phrase of love, the one thing that the more you give away, the more you have. And again, if we translate that to love being the word for energy or aliveness flowing, then all of a sudden we could translate that sentence in a way that makes sense. Love, energy flowing in us, the one thing that the more you give away, the more you have. Or if we call it energy flowing in us, love, the more energy we allow to be flowing in us, then the more energy we have flowing in us. Now, the place that it gets confusing is that we can actually bend and extend that energy flow from ourselves, and we can develop habits where what we do when we feel that deep connection or bond with another person, that what we do is we bend our energy out to that other, and we flow our life force or our energy to them. Now, let's take a look. You ever seen or had the experience of someone and uh, however they got there, let's just start this story in the middle, that however they got there, this friend of yours is now recognizing that they are once again single and that being cool, the boss man's leaving. Now we can get away with everything. No rules. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. We could talk about... Uh, if you've ever noticed that someone has recognized they're single, and then there's that interesting pattern that sometimes goes after that, that someone recognizes they're single, and in recognizing they're single, then they start to recognize all the different places that they had narrowed down their aliveness while they were partnered with whomever they were partnered with. And so in a lot of cases, our newly single friend, you know, they put up their right hand and they make the vow of, wow, I noticed I really gave myself away to that other person. And they put up their hand and they say, I, I promise I'm never going to give myself away like that again. From now on, I will be focused on my own aliveness, even if I have another relationship someday and maybe I never will. So we watch that person, our newly singled friend, make their pledge that they're never going to give themselves away. And then they start doing the things that feed and nurture them. 
And as they do the things that feed and nurture them, they find themselves lighting back up because they're refilling their energy batteries. They're refilling their inner energy until they actually start to notice the other things in their world that they love. And it makes it easier for them to notice that. Wow, I really love hiking. I love hanging out with my friends. I love doing my yoga. I love, you know, I love eating carefully so that my body feels better. Whatever scenario it might be, they're doing the things. I love going in the woods. You know, they're doing the things that feed and nurture them. And as they do that, that rebuilds their love their energy flow, excuse me, that rebuilds their energy flow. And so they're able to re-experience that sense of themselves lit back up again. Now, I grew up in Kansas and in Kansas, we have a thing called bugs. Now, California thinks they have bugs, but in Kansas, we've got bugs that are big enough that when they come banging up against your screen door, they can make it go thwang loud enough. You can hear it all the way across the room. Now, as a kid with a sort of a scientific mind, one quickly discovers that if your parents put in a low wattage light bulb in the porch light, you only get a few bugs thwanging off the screen. But if you swipe that and you put in a 100 watt bulb in the porch light, the brighter the bulb, the more bugs, which means they must be coming from further away. Turns out human beings are very similar. When somebody is doing the things that feed and nurture them so that they're refilling their energy and they're alive, yeah, you got it, right? You're right ahead of me. Isn't that fun? In human beings, it's the same thing. When somebody's doing the things that feed and nurture themselves and refill their energy batteries, they start to shine more brightly. And you can see it. People that are thriving in their life, they shine. You can see it even if you don't think in metaphysical terms or you're not psychic. So we have our newly singled friend who's now doing the things that feed and nurture them. Their lights get brighter. And as their lights get brighter, sure enough, more candidates start to show up attracted to them and start to be drawn to that light and as the more candidates show up our friend who promised they were never going to give themselves away again as more candidates show up finally one shows up that looks like it's a really good idea this one could be a candidate to be the one this potentially could be a candidate to be my the one forever so that I will have solved that equation and I'll finally have it and so they're bright and shiny, their energy's flowing, they connect with this person that they have a deep connection with, and it triggers them to experience even more of their energy or aliveness flowing, so they fall into a state that's called in love. And we'll notice that the language fits, because when people talk about that, they'll talk about, this person brings that part out in me, this person lets me be who I really am, this person brings that part forward in me, so that I am who I really am which is the symptoms of us with our energy or our aliveness flowing. Allison and I were just talking in the interview, we were chatting about the fact that when we do our work with clients and we strip away the stuff that's been in the way, they find that it brings that part of them forward, that essence, that authentic part, it brings it forward. So if we look at love being a word for the experience of us with our energy or our aliveness flowing, it totally fits the language that we're used to. They bring that part out in me. So let's watch our friend who's now found their new candidate for oneness, right? They found the new candidate to solve the, oh, I found my particular the one theory. The first thing they do is they drop off all of that ballast of all those things that they were doing to feed and nurture themselves. And they take that focus into this new partner because for the initial period, that trigger of the connection between them triggers them into a state of their aliveness flowing even more rich, but partially because they had refilled their own batteries. That trigger of in-loveness allows them to have more energy flowing. Love is the word for the experience we have when our energy and our aliveness is flowing in us allowing us to have that experience of our brightness and our aliveness flowing. It's just the theory we're working with. But then I've watched the cycle a lot where you can see people and at first they are in that state of love when they are in contact with this person that they have a deep connection to. Now just off to the side you can ponder this. That connection, the reason it feels like oh, I've known them forever is that the connection is all the way down at the core essence of us. All of us have a core, I have to do hand gestures for this, uh, y'all can't see, but I am. I, all of us have a core essence that is who we really are, and that core essence gets wrapped around by our lessons, our life path, our patterns, or you could simply put it, the stuff in the way. So all of us have a core essence that is who we really are that gets wrapped around by the stuff in the way that are the patterns, the neuroses, the mental patterns, the hesitations, the cautiousness, whatever. When we meet somebody that we share a deep connection with, that deep connection actually exists from core essence to core essence, beyond the patterns, which is why when we 
experience that sense of deeply connected love with someone, there's a huge sense as if you know them past their surface, as if you've known them forever, and as if they see you from past your surface, which sometimes is frustrating because if it's your friend and they're in a relationship that's sort of squirrely or not working well for them, and you're talking to them and they say back to you, well, well, I know those patterns that they have that you see that are disrupting their lives and our lives, but if you could just see the part of them I see, because they're connected core essence to core essence, they're busy trying to have a relationship with the who they really are part of this other person, and sometimes they're ignoring the who they're being part of this other person. That word love is the word for the sensation we experience when our energy and our aliveness is flowing. It can be triggered by an other because we have that core essence to core essence connection, kind of like in the old-fashioned movies where they'd pull on a cord and it would ring a bell someplace else and the butler would come. That core essence to core essence connection triggers us to let our focus and our aliveness and our awareness drop out of our stuff in the way and our patterns and to bring us immediately back to our focus, our awareness, our aliveness being in our own core essence. So piece one, love is the word for the sensation we experience when our energy or our aliveness is flowing. Love is the word for the sensation we experience when our energy and our aliveness is flowing. That's a key element to remember because then you can recognize if you're not experiencing that sense of love in your world and in your life, Ryan's over here messing with you because I love this man. When you're not experiencing that sense of love in your life, what you want to do is recharge your own energy batteries. It's not because the person in front of you isn't being who they should be if they were someone who loved you. That connection simply exists. If you're not flowing it, find the things that recharge you. For me, it's trees and moving water. I can even stand in my backyard and lean against a little 17-year-old tree in my backyard and, and run a hose over the ground when we're not in California drought. And that moving water in that tree is enough to bring me back. But if I go hiking in the woods, it fills me more deeply. When I meditate, it fills me more deeply. When I hang with people who have a real clear connection and are sharing that, it fills you. If you're not noticing that you're able to experience your energy and your aliveness flowing in you, it's not a matter of whether or not the people around you are doing what they should be doing. It's time for you to refill your batteries. I want to remind you that you're listening to us from the New Living Expo, the 15th annual New Living Expo here in the San Francisco Bay Area. We're at the San Mateo Exhibition Area, the San Mateo Event Center, which in San Francisco area is partway down the peninsula. 